All right. Well, um, how many of you guys have Psalm 23 memorized? Wow. I knew there was going to be some. And how many of you have, uh, you know, frequently either turned to the psalm in times of distress or just, you know, you know, frequented it in your memory when things were hard? Yeah, for sure. And I think the, the neat thing about Psalm 23 is the way in which it's stated. Um, it's not stated with any kind of, you know, woe is me or whatever. It's, it's stated as a very triumphant, you know, confident declaration in uh, who God is and what he is for me. And uh, so it's a, very, it's a very neat, neat psalm. Certainly one of the most famous, um, what was there, 10 of you that say you had it memorized? Did you memorize the whole thing? Or do you have, yeah, that's great, that's great. If, uh, yeah, if it was memorized at one time, we'll let it, all right. If that makes you feel better, we'll celebrate with you, yeah. So I certainly don't memorize scripture as well as I used to. I'm getting really old at 45. And, uh, but, but I used to be able to memorize scripture like crazy. And um, I had most of Romans memorized at one time. And now I can, like if you quote a line in it, I can tell you what chapter it's in. But I don't, I can't, yeah, it doesn't come roll off my mouth anymore like it used to. So the brain's getting tired. But Yeah. So yeah, just a great psalm, one that is comforted, who knows uh, how many in difficulty. Um, and it's, it's obvious why, uh, you know, the, the psalm is just so intimate in its natures. And we'll look at that more as we go. But in the psalm, God is near, God is tender, and God is strong. And um, in order to get, I think, the results that we need in times of comfort, God must be all of those things to us simultaneously. We might say he is the ultimate bodyguard. And uh, it's nice to have a bodyguard like that. So, and you know, as it says that David, it's a psalm of David, and David was a shepherd. And so you can see him drawing from his experience, you know, all of this imagery that's there, uh, all of the weaponry or instrumentation of a shepherd and uh, the duties uh, the call of the shepherd. David related well with that. And um, I think also, you know, being the kind of shepherd that he was, because, uh, you know, my, my dad's side of the family in Wyoming is all sheep uh, herders. But the way that they do things here in the U.S., in the modern world, of course, was much different than it was there. But there was the, you know, the relationship of the shepherd to the sheep and the sheep to the shepherd, and uh, that more closeness, the intimate nature of it, truly depending uh, on the sheep as um, your livelihood, but the sheep depending on you for their life and all of that. There's this, this closer-knit kind of relationship. So anyway, let's, uh, let's read the psalm. Why don't you stand up and we'll read the text, and I hope that in reading it, it communicates Uh, David's confidence. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. Um, We know, as we've talked about uh, already, uh, David, as he said, the, the, the word of the Lord was on my tongue, and the spirit of the Lord spoke by me. And Lord, just as you were David's shepherd, you are our shepherd. As the author of Hebrews says, that you are the great shepherd of the sheep. We have you standing watch over us. And we can live this life that we live with great confidence. Uh, Certainly not one without its trouble, but with a shepherd who tends us and watches after us and and walks with us through it all. So Lord, we thank you. And uh, Lord, um, I failed to give the praise report about Judy and how well she's doing. Lord, we thank you for um, all that's happened. We pray that you would continue to just perpetuate her wellness, Lord, and that she would fully recover be brought back to us. So Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and be seated. I failed to mention that uh, Judy Sanderson, her, uh, her white blood cell count is uh, way down and she's off. She's not intubated. They've taken her off the breathing tube. She's talking. She's answering questions. Her kidneys are, are functioning better. So she's just doing better and better, which means Joe is doing uh, much better. And so we want to just keep praying. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dive into this. Uh, David begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, as you read the Old Testament, even as you read the New Testament, uh, you find that God is uh, frequently uh, referred to as the shepherd of Israel. He's uh, called the, the shepherd of the sheep. As, a, uh, as I said, that he, Jesus is called the great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, As we see in um, uh, depictions in the early church, the the shepherd was a symbol of Christianity. Uh, But he's typically spoken of as the shepherd of the the sheep over the whole flock. But here in Psalm 23, it doesn't seem to have uh, that corporate feel. It's not a, a denial of it. But God is not represented in this particular psalm as being the shepherd of the masses, but the shepherd of the individual, the shepherd of the individual. And I think that's important uh, to, you know, narrow it down to something like this, because individuals have, uh, have a sense in themselves that they kind of get lost in the masses, and that while the shepherd may care for them as an individual, he's not tending to them as an individual. But Psalm 23 is not, uh, it's not speaking of God in that way, he's, he's speaking of God as being more personal, okay? Uh, it's not about what he is to everyone else, but it, it's, it's about what he is to me. Um, he's near to me as the individual. Uh, he cares for me. Um, and if there was no other sheep, I would be his flock. He would still care for me. Uh, he's mine, I am his. And uh, the Hebrew word for a shepherd means to tend and to protect, to tend and protect. Imagine if God was one but not the other. Maybe he tended, but he did not have the ability to protect. Uh, you may have confidence in his provision, but in, in, with any danger, you would have no confidence in his protection. But if God was all protector and not the tender of your, your needs, um, you would have this disconnect from him. You may feel 
safe in uh, the face of danger, but you would have no confidence in his provision. But God is always represented as both. He is the great protector, but he's also the great provider. Amen? And, uh, and it's interesting that, the, uh, that God is spoken of as a shepherd, someone who both protects and one who, who nurtures. He tends to them. Uh, it's interesting, the, um, the Greek word for shepherd is poimen, which is typically translated as pastor, pastor. And it has the exact same meaning as the Hebrew for shepherd. It, it means to provide or to nurture and, uh, and to protect, protect. So in that is etched a pastor's responsibility. Of course, uh, a pastor's responsibility is not to provide for your physical needs. Um, his job is to provide for spiritual needs and then also to protect, uh, protect from false teaching, from uh, false living, from all of those things. That is the duty of a shepherd. Uh, but of course, the pastor is not the chief shepherd. He is an under-shepherd, amen? An under-shepherd, the pastor-shepherd. And here, David says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, nearly every literal uh, translation renders it, I shall not want, which is a good translation, but it's not actually a common way that we communicate in modern English. I don't know of anybody that uses that vernacular, uh, you know, want uh, or not to want in this sense. I imagine that most people under 40 uh, don't even know really what it means because we just don't use it very much. There's another place in Daniel where it's used, um, you know, like you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Um, yeah. So to not want has everything to do with someone's needs. Uh, it's not talking about my desires, uh, what I may want at this moment, uh, but it has to do with needs. David is speaking about necessities, not petty desires. He is saying that because God is his shepherd, he, he is not, he will not be deprived of what his, of what his necessities are. I will not be, be deprived. But the question is, what necessities is he talking about? Is he referring in the psalm to physical needs or his spiritual needs? Now, I don't, if David, at the time that he wrote this and he's king, he definitely has no physical needs because all those needs are met. Uh, he had no problems with wealth and provision and things like that. But even in the psalm, I don't get the sense that David is talking about his next meal uh, or the clothing or, or his shelter, but he's talking about his spiritual needs in, in the midst or, well, in the midst of problems or what may be on the horizon. Uh, David didn't live much of his life without at least on the horizon the valley of the shadow of death. And so I think that it's, it's, it's definitely talking about uh, the spiritual needs that he has as he walks through so many difficulties. Now, it certainly wouldn't be at the denial of God providing for physical needs. Uh, he certainly does that. But I don't think physical needs is man's greatest need for sure. And besides, the psalm is full of this figurative language. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters. Now, as nice as that sounds, I don't think that David is talking about uh, you know, literally laying down in a green field uh, or literally laying down uh, next to a um, still waters. Uh, what is here, because as you know, we have the verse, um, 
uh, verse 4, about the, the valley of the shadow of death. I think that David is addressing green pastures and still waters with that whole thing in mind. I think that's on his mind in all of this. It's embedded in the context. But in spite of this, David says that his shepherd uh, it's literally lays him down in green pastures and then leads him to still waters. Now, real quick, still waters does not mean stagnant pond versus raging river. Still waters does not mean stagnant water. Okay? Uh, what is still refers to what is restful. The word actually means that in the Greek, to uh, restful, to quiet, to peaceful. So the whole scene is one of serenity. Uh, God has provided rest for David in spite of what David sees on the horizon. Instead of becoming distressed or stressed out by what he knows is imminent, David, through the Lord, has found himself to be at peace, to be, to be resting in his heart and his mind. And as Isaiah said, he says, speaking of the Lord, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in the Lord. David trusts in his shepherd. And so as he sees the valley of death approaching, David says, "Mm, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be deprived of my necessities uh, even as I approach this thing. And uh, in spite of it, I'm able to rest as a sheep rests blissfully in green pastures and, uh, and by still waters. He says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's his name's sake. Uh, to restore, of course, implies that something was out of sorts. Something was wrong. Uh, because of, of circumstance, uh, some state of mind, some anxiety, David's soul had been troubled. It had been troubled. But something uh, in regard to this image that he has of God, he, he's, his mind has, has become reassured. He's, he's stable again. His faithful shepherd has uh, restored him. He has, he's now in a place of, of confidence, of surety, um, rather than being overwhelmed. And then part of this restoration, David says, was leading me to a, a, a godly course of action or behavior that would honor the Lord. So before in his thinking, uh, it, it seemed, it's implied that he was not honoring the Lord. Something was askew spiritually. And uh, the way that he was going about something uh, had set God aside. It was, he was off course. And, uh, and God had somehow gotten his attention and, and brought him back on course uh, to a, a place where he could actually honor God with what he was about to do. We might say left to his own, David's decision uh, may have honored himself. It may have pleased him, but it would have been uh, unnecessarily spiritually destructive. But his shepherd led him the right way, which would glorify God. Uh, a wise perspective that we should all adopt. Um, how many guys have ever sought God's will in your life? Or wondered, what is God's will for my life? Um, whatever would honor God most is typically the best course of action. Uh, I don't know how many people I've met with over the years, and, and they said, you know, they're trying to make a big decision. They're trying to uh, figure out which way to go, whatever. And they say, what should I do? What is God's will in this? And And... Oftentimes, just in talking through it with them as to what would honor God most is what God wants you to do, whatever would glorify him the most. And it seems like such a a simple way to go about it, but 
oftentimes when you, when you step back from a decision that you're trying to make, or you're trying to discern something about what God wants, you oftentimes find that your own honor is a conflict with God's honor. And that if, if we would just focus on what would honor God most, uh, that is his will. That's his will. And, uh, so I know it sounds simple, but it's something definitely you want to look at. And the, the righteous path, whatever is right, always leads to God's glory. Amen. How many of you guys have been bound up with your own selfish desires? It's wrestling against God's will. Yeah. I mean, you want to move to Wyoming and, you know, or you want to just move out of the rain and uh, you want something. You want, you want, you want, but it's really not what God wants. It's just what you want. And um, honoring God, such a simple thing. So here it is. David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, at this point, the, the, this, this valley of death may be hypothetical. David says, though I walk or though I were to walk, but David certainly has walked in that valley before. Um, and hypothetical or on the horizon or whatever, in David's mind is the worst possible circumstance. The valley of the shadow of death. It's a it's a dark, dark thing. He's talking about the worst case scenario that, words, that leads to the worst possible outcome. Okay? The most undesirable experience one could face. That's what David is facing. But he says that he can endure it without fearing the evil that is in it simply because the shepherd is with him. Who is, and he says here, who is armed with rod and staff. He says, because the Lord, the shepherd, is with me and he's armed to the teeth, he says, I can face all the evil that's out there. I like this. The rod. Uh, the rod was sort of a, a rude kind of weapon for beating off anything that would threaten the flock. Of course, different kinds of people had different kinds of rods. Kings had rods. Rulers had rods. Well, a shepherd also had a rod, which was more like a club. Okay, I have a shepherd's club in my office. Haven't I shown you guys before on Sundays? I'll have to bring it out again. It's kind of spooky looking. Uh, I think it's meant to look intimidating, but yeah, uh, a rude sort of weapon. My favorite story about shepherding is from David, 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 35. You know, David, uh, he comes, he's actually brought to Saul because Goliath is threatening the armies of Israel, the nation of Israel, their existence. And uh, they've brought out their champion, and he wants them to bring out their champion. And uh, so Israel is trembling, they're afraid. And, you know, David is like, it's, you know, this young punk that is among the ranks of, of Saul's army, and he's, he can't understand why someone hasn't stood up to him because he's, He's reviling, he's blaspheming God and his people. And he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of God? And kind of the same confidence that we see in Psalm 23. And so everybody hears him talking like this, so they bring him to Saul. And so David says to Saul, he says, you know, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear, and that's where I say, okay, stop right there. David is probably 14 to 16. And when he says lion or bear, that's when it's just, it's unthinkable. Okay. 
And he says, when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck and killed it. Yeah. When David told Saul that he would grab the lion by its beard and strike and kill it, he's talking about this rod, this rod, beard in left hand, rod in right hand. And he would strike a lion until it died. That is shepherding. Yeah. So even though the the club is one of the most primitive weapons for hand-to-hand combat, it's still one of the most effective. You know, blunt force trauma is nothing to trifle with, not even for a lion. Okay, it's a big deal. Uh, The staff, so the Lord is armed with both rod and staff. The staff was for stability, but it could also be used, you know, to uh, wield as a weapon to keep a predator at bay. Uh, I did, this whole illustration is so powerful. You know, shepherding today uh, with modern firearms to keep predators at bay, it's, it's nothing like it was then. Shepherds like David had to be really young boys of absolute fearless courage. And he didn't have a lever gun, you know, to raise to a predator to dispatch it if it was after one of his sheep. Uh, no, he had to approach the lion at close range. He had to recover the lamb or the sheep, and then he had to, of course, the lion is still hungry, and he's not going home without a meal, so he turns on the shepherd who's standing between him and his meal, and then it was, it was full-on hand-to-hand combat. And when worse came to worse, as David says, he would have to grab the lion by the beard and hold on to it while he bludgeoned it to death. You guys, that is the most violent, bloody scene I can think of, as lion is, you know, tearing and biting, and a young kid is swinging for his life until this thing lays limp at his feet. What a powerful image of a protector. It's crazy. And David says, it happened more than once. Okay. Uh, the, the, the Maasai, uh, Maasai shepherds of Africa are kind of like this today. When I was in Kenya, I was told that if, if you see a, a, a Maasai man with a necklace of lion's claws. He said he, is, uh, he, was, he, uh, he said he is a fierce man. And he says that he has killed a lion at, at, at uh, close combat uh, as a rite of passage. And I, I think if I remember right, I'll have to look it up, but it, uh, it's the rite of passage for either manhood or marriage, whatever. Uh, that's a lot to ask for. So shepherds stood between the flock and every foe that threatened it. And David, as a young boy, he did it well. He did it well. So doing it well, I think, is in his mind as he's writing some of this. And he's saying that, you know, God as my shepherd is with me. He's armed with these instruments. And so David says, I feel safe in the face of danger and evil. He knew that the ultimate bodyguard was at his side. and, uh, And he knew how to use all of his instruments in case there was danger. It's great. Yeah, God's presence gave David great confidence. And you guys know that uh, depending on what it is, you know, whether it's gas prices or uh, whatever in the economy, your personal economy, uh, whether it's family affairs, relationships, life can be pretty intimidating. But when you truly believe and trust that the shepherd is with you, uh, you can rest. You can rest. It's okay. It's okay. I actually maybe turn mine off too there. So... So it happened one day at church, 
to a good friend of mine who can't hear it because he's, he's hearing loss. And so he just sits there blissfully through it and uh, while well, his wife is just so embarrassed. So it's okay. So I just, I like this whole picture here um, because David can relate so well. Um, David knew that something was always preying upon the sheep. But as a shepherd, he was always alert and he always was ready to respond to the threat. And if David, as just a boy, was this effective shepherd, how much more would the Lord be an effective shepherd to him? And I think David was also thinking of how little his flock had to be concerned with because of his watchful care. They can, without a care, bed down in green pastures. They can, without a care, lean down blindly into the water to drink, all because the shepherd is watching over them. They know that he has their back. And so they don't think about wolves coming out of the woods or, or whatever. They just blissfully go about their day because the shepherd is watching after them. And if those sheep could take their ease because of David's watchful care, how much more can we take our ease? Not that we become irresponsible or indifferent, but we can just rest in our spirit knowing that the great shepherd stands over us, whether it's our need for protection or it's our need for provision. The the good shepherd is with us. And David just spoke so confidently and, and clearly. I love it. He knew that there was no context where God is unreliable or unable to, pro- to provide or protect. Just no context. He will never leave or forsake his people. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now, I, I can't say that I fully understand the imagery here, okay? But it really reveals God's faithfulness to David in the midst of all of his troubles, even in the sight of his enemies. Uh, certainly, if, if this was to occur, it would, it would spite the enemy for sure. But it's not about the enemy here in the text. It's about David, okay? Uh, God is, is, you know, blessing David as like he was God's honored guest in his home, setting food before him, anointing his head with oil, and, uh, and, and then, you know, it's as if he's just pouring into his cup till the cup, like he forgets that he's actually pouring into it. It's just this overflowing of blessing as his foes look on. It seems to be the ultimate way of saying that God is with me and cares for me. He's with me and he cares for me. And, uh, and it maybe it does communicate to his enemies that because God is with me and cares for me, you better watch out. You better watch out. Yeah, it must have just this thought about God just overwhelmed him with confidence. So David declares, Surely, obviously, most certainly, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will surely, most definitely, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is, he's like, this is the conclusion of the matter. This is the surety. It will surely happen. Just a, a sweet expression of great confidence about the Lord's faithfulness in his own place, as he says, before the Lord for eternity. He knew that God's goodness, his mercy would always abide with him. And he knew that he would reside in God's presence absolutely forever. That's very sweet. So just in review of this, you know, because the Lord was his shepherd, David was never, he knew that he would never be deprived of his spiritual needs. He could rest 
confidently and peacefully as the Lord stood watch over him. He could face any degree of evil without fear and be comforted as he endured the worst of circumstances. He knew that God's goodness and mercy would abide with him uh, always and that in eternity he would abide with the Lord forever. What a sweet confidence that David had. You know, and you know, typically I think that this comes with long experience, but, and I don't know what long experience is for a Christian, or maybe it, deal, it has to do with, you know, greater exposure to God, because we see David speaking this way as a very, very young man, right, when he stood before Saul as just a, a young teenage boy, and he said, hey, the battle belongs to the Lord. What's, what's the big deal here? And, uh, but for, and, and that may have been David. Some people just accelerate in faith and confidence. Other people, they need to, you know, step by step, just learn to trust God in this way. And then oh, through experience, uh, they do that. I think many of us do that with people. We're like, we take slow steps toward trusting people. And then other people are like, well, I just trust people. Uh, I think that's safest with the Lord to just, oh, he's the Lord, I trust him. He created the world, he created me. He parted the seas, he brought down walls, he does all that. I trust him, absolutely. Uh, but I think that most of us, it just takes time to, uh, I don't know if experiment with the Lord's faithfulness is the right way to say that, but we need to experience it and step by step we draw closer. But it's David's testimony, I think, that helps us accelerate that process and, uh, and then be, you know, and, and force ourselves to be stretched to trust the Lord. And one of the things that I've always loved about, um, uh, it's, a, it's actually a, um, 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 a, um, a distinctive of Calvary Chapel. And of course, Chuck Smith is the one that came up with the Calvary distinctives. But one of them was a venture of faith. And he is basically saying in Calvary Chapel distinctives that you're really not Calvary Chapel at heart unless you take ventures of faith, unless you take risky, you know, you do risky things in life for God. And he, because he always said, God is faithful, God provides. And I don't know if he coined the, the phrase, but he said, where, where God guides, he provides. And so Chuck would push people in the faith. He'd try to push them over the edge just to, to force them to trust the Lord. And uh, not literally, this is just a figure of speech, but just pushing them, pushing them. God is faithful, God is faithful. Trust him, do risky things, and do it by faith and all of that. So I think it's just such a sweet thing to trust the Lord. Why don't we stand up and I'll get you out of here. Well, Lord Jesus, we can declare your faithfulness all day. But until we step out in faith, I think we just short ourselves. You're a faithful God who desires to prove his faithfulness, his goodness. You want great things to be done for your fame, for your glory. And uh, it requires great feats of faith. And Lord, um, you also want to prove yourself to be strong on our behalf in our troubles and circumstances. And Lord, you're going to be faithful to us regardless of our behavior through trials and troubles. And we can either rest in the peace that you provide or we can be stressed out. And, uh, and then we just, again, short ourselves of experiencing all that you have to offer us. And uh, And so Lord, I pray that where each of us are in our faith, uh, each of us are with regard to the way life comes at us and how we uh, relate to that and experience that. 
I pray, Lord, that by your spirit that you would grant us grace to just trust you more that our shepherd is with us. And not only do you protect, but you provide. You're, you're good. You're merciful. Help us not, Lord, to be afraid. As David said, he, he feared no evil because you were with him. He knew that nothing could stand against you. And so, Lord, just fill us with confidence and then help us to step out in faith. Help us to trust you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for my church family. And I just love them. And I pray, Lord, that you would indeed just lavish your kindness upon them. Show your faithfulness to them in whatever they may be experiencing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, love you guys. Lord bless you. Again, the doors are open. Uh, You can stay and hang out and bless one another. Don't feel like you got to leave.